Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another edition of Work Human Radio. I'm your host, Mike Wood, and we have a very special guest joining us today, Dr. Patty Fletcher, who is our new VP of Brand Marketing. Say hi, Patty. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. Yes, welcome to the team. We've known you for a couple of years. Can you just kind of get started about how you first started working with Work Human? Yeah, of course. It was when it was Global Force. So, and and by the way, as the um, the new head of brand, I can't believe I just said those words because I might not have been so brand aligned. But yeah, it, <laughs> I had worked an early customer of Global Force, and so I started. I started to get to know the recognition market because of Global Force. It really wasn't in existence in my brain. And, and it's interesting because at the time, the part of that business that I had worked in that was a customer was an HR vendor. So it really did help me to think about things in a different way. And even before I had the words for them that we all have now, you know, things around belonging, it was interesting because I was used to a place where you know, you'd know you have a, an event, right? Like a, a service anniversary. Mm-hmm. And so you'd get the watch, you'd get the pin or whatever. And I have like so many gold pins now I could probably melt them down and create a whole other piece of jewelry. But it was never about me, right? Or the other person. And so now they had just used it for service anniversaries at the time. But the whole thing was I got to choose, right? What I wanted. And that was pretty awesome. So it was, wow, this is, this is made for me versus this is about the company. It was about our relationship. So that was a really interesting shift. Several years passed on and all of a sudden this thing called the Work Human event was out and people were talking about it and I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I heard it described perfectly as the South by Southwest of HR vendor events. And it's interesting, growing up in the HR vendor world, there are we all love events, right? And there it's kind of, you know, we have our own event, come join us, or we go to the other tech conferences, which are so much about the technology versus the people, which is so interesting because I don't know, human resources, the word human in there. And so really interesting. And I had a book come out a few years ago called Disruptors, Success Strategies from Women Who Break the Mold and had submitted a request to speak about that, to share some of the data around, you know, what are those unconscious bias-based barriers that are out there that are standing in the way? And and what are some of those things that we can do as people leaders, as HR leaders, to be able to remove them so that all talent can thrive? And I went to the event and I did it and the room was standing room only and it was amazing. And the impact and my business partner and I were walking around and we see like these cool booths. There's no demo show floor. There's no like people, you know, yelling at us to go take their pens, you know, just, just crazy. And instead what I found was people who thought about the stuff I thought about, who wanted to talk about the things that I wanted to talk about, about how do you harness all the best and available talent how do you look at the future of work and therefore how you're going to future-proof your organization today? It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And, you know, Mike, we go to these kinds of events and it's, 
you maybe get, you know, you go to these partner booths, you get your swag, which is not as good as it used to be from any, but, you know, it's pretty transactional, right? And kind of that thing happens when you leave those magical doors from a convention or a keynote or whatever, and it's called reality, right? So you get all excited and pumped up with all the could be's and you leave, you're like, oh, wait, that was nice and not sure how I can apply that to myself. And you forget everybody's name because you found their business cards out. So I met people, my mind was changed and relationships were formed. I went back the next year and was part of a panel on pay equity with your friend, Lori Roydman and and Lauren Zajac. And there was someone else there who was part of a think tank organization in DC. And it was awesome, right? There were things said on stage I totally disagreed with. So of course I disagreed with them. And it was like this conversation of awesomeness because not only did it become a place where I met people who thought about the things I thought about who were doing the things based on the stuff we all cared about, but that we could also disagree and disagree on things that were just so like, you know, polar opposite. And yet we walked away with deeper friendships. How cool is that? So then I made even more friends. So that was really my taste of work human. It was as this organization that understood that when it comes to business, brick buildings don't do business with brick buildings. People do business with people. And we have no other place where we can come together and really talk about that. And even though the event itself was only, you know, once a year, being able to create these relationships with people that transcended the event. So that's my taste of work human. And I will say being in here, it replicates it. We, you know, please, we all know employer brand. We know all the marketing that goes into employer brand. What's been really amazing here is we truly do know how to work human. It wasn't just something we put on for everybody once a year as part of the event. It's how we practice and actually lead our own business of people. Yeah, I think the event from the very first year in Orlando to last year, the last in-person one that we've had, and we'll see what happens moving forward, but (laughs) just seeing the community kind of come together and the amount of people that show up knowing that they're going to see a uh, colleague that is going through the same things that they're going through. I've been very humbled and happy to have taken two group photos with flags Canadian contingent and a Cayman Islands contingent the past couple of years. It's great. I would much rather go to an event where I'm going to see some people that I'm looking forward to seeing. That's how HR tech has become for our, our industry. It's almost like a little reunion. Every Still time. home day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's great. And I think you coming along, our journey with us is a natural fit. You're local. You have been involved with us. I think I interviewed you maybe two years ago at this point, but it's great. So I wanted to just ask you a little bit about your background and how you got started in marketing and HR tech companies. Can you just talk about the, what is that first yeah. kind of water? It's weird, right? So I, you know, I think about like, did I grow up wanting to be a kind of CMO, co-CMO and an HR tech vendor? Can't say that I talked about that in third grade at the, you know, the recess thing, but I grew up wanting to be a news reporter. And for those of you who grew up in in Massachusetts and and in my age group, you might remember Nat and Chet from Channel 5. They're a husband and wife, right, journalist team. And so every night, my dad and I from, gosh, since I have a memory, I would watch the news with my dad. And we would watch Nat and Chet. And then we would watch at first Walter Cronkite. And then after that, Peter Jennings. And I don't know if it was because it was just this, you know, kind of 
a place of intersection for my dad and I. We also watched the Bruins together back before they wore helmets or any protective gear. And I could not be an NHL player, unfortunately, but mostly because I can't skate and also, you know, just can't for obvious reasons. But I wanted to be a news reporter. And so I went to college for journalism and ended up switching my major to business because there was something inside of me that that knew things were changing, but also that I was more interested in being the news and making news happen versus reporting on it. But yet that thing never left me, Mike, with that reporter thing. And I never quite understood why. And then I went to grad school and, you know, traveled around the world, did all these wonderful things and, and had wonderful experiences and came back to the States because um, I had done grad school overseas and, and again, spent quite a bit of time away from, from the United States. And so I came back to Massachusetts and because I wanted to be closer to my family and my husband and I moved here and he's from London and we spent all of our vacations visiting all of our families. So we figured let's have one. And started doing some business consulting and really was seeing this whole thing around, wait a minute, our only true competitive differentiator is our people, right? Patents run out, you know, all that, but it's the intersection of people, not only the human capital I bring, right? The stuff I possess that makes me unique, my talent, my ambition, my connections, right? My contacts. But when those things come together with other people, that's when the magic happens. That's the thumbprint nobody else can focus on. And I didn't really understand growing up when I did with Jeffrey Moore and Clay Christensen, everybody focused on process. We kind of forgot the people. And so I just started getting more interested in that, was talking to a friend who was like, hey, you know, there's this company called SAP and they have this amazing software and they're all about HR in the US market. It was when they were trying to build for that late 1990s, pre-Y2K. And so I go to them and it was interesting because I started learning systems, right? All about systems, which was great. And ultimately what I took away from that and how I related it to people was that when you look at your workplace and that workplace does not equate to the market that you are in. In other words, you cannot see the people who buy and use your solutions or services replicated in your company by the decision makers, the people who decide what products and services will be developed, who markets your product and sales, right? Who in sales? And you see this discrepancy or you look around and you don't, you see an overrepresentation of the people who don't represent your buyers and an underrepresentation of the folks who do are the influencers, a systems theory forces you to ask what makes this possible. So I started being able to develop this whole understanding of a few things. First, and I think vendors forget this a lot, what does it actually mean to run a company using someone else's software, right? How does it enable you to, because you're doing it to disrupt. So how does it enable you to disrupt a status quo that's inefficient and effective and Lately, the last few years, inequitable doesn't give a, a level playing field or meet people where they are. And so that's really how I got into HR. It wasn't, you know, I didn't go to school for HR. And from the marketing perspective, I didn't start in marketing. Sure, I took marketing classes as part of, you know, an MBA program, but I didn't really quite get that I was a marketer until I, when I started out in pre sales. And then there wasn't really a marketing organization within SAP. So started being able to tell a story that we needed that I had to make it happen, found out I wasn't so bad at speaking to people on a stage. And really, I remember one day, I think it was in like, I don't know, it was just after September 11th and budgets were cut and all that. And I was at a customer and it was before, again, we had a formal global marketing organization. 
And we ended up telling a story. And the story was this company had unfortunately lost a lot of its people in September 11th. And their, their culture, Mike, it was awful. It was just so broken, you know, and they didn't have that connectivity. And also they were just struggling with even finding out where their employees were. Like they didn't even know how many people worked for them. It was just terrible because nobody was prepared for this. And we were telling a story of what the future of work could look like before we talked about future of work stuff. And I was watching people click. This was before content marketing. This was before storytelling. And all of a sudden, I flashed back to those early days of wanting to be a journalist, of wanting to be on TV. And I realized it was never really about any of those things. It was about being able to supply information through a way that people are willing to hear it, and they don't even realize they're learning something new that they can see a version of themselves, that they can form opinions based on information that they decide what to do about. And that it was never really about telling people what to think, it was helping them in how they think. And that's what marketing is. And then over time, as Interbrand, which started in the early 2000s and working for a company that's decided to invest in its brand, which is what an, an SAP did, and after that did it in other big brand companies, who weren't big brands and then became big brands. I realized like this whole brand thing was interesting. Started seeing the market move from there's a business and there's a logo, right? To, and you know, here are the jingles to all of a sudden not being able to separate the brand from the company. Then going, oh my goodness, brand is everything. And essentially none of us actually own our brand right? It, brand is really what people say about you when you're not in the room. And what they say is how you make them feel. And so as a marketer, to be able to orchestrate a conversation about topics that that business cares to help people be able to solve so much so that we help them discover the new questions that bring them to tomorrow, that we help them to solve the most complex challenge you will ever have in business. And it has nothing to do with patents or innovation and has everything to do with the complex adaptive system that we live in that is 100% controlled by people. Technology is the enabler of that. Coming to work human was a huge leap for me in my thinking and in my approach. I have learned so much in 20 years about the plumbing of HR, about the plumbing of ERP, about the plumbing of data, right? Going from on, everything was in manual to on-prem, right? You got to get people, had to get people past the, no, 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 no. You're not automating what you're already doing, right? There are new things you have to ask, new things you can do. And then from on-prem to SaaS, what are those new things you should be thinking about? Because just like moving from manual to on-prem, on-prem to SaaS enables a totally different way of doing business, new questions, new whatever. But those are very much about streamlining processes, right? Very much around decision-making that comes from transactional data, or of course, data that gets put into a system, but it becomes contrived. It's not actual because we're reporting. And then you come to a place like WorkHuman that says, you know what? You're right. Those things are so important, what you get from an HRMS or HCMS, whatever you want to call it, if you're going to do core and talent together. This is also not instead of, but also about that human connection. And we don't necessarily see that at forefront of people's minds because they don't know how to enable culture in a meaningful way, in a way that scales, in a way that you can directly connect 
the culture of your business. In other words, what people value so much that it dictates how they work together, when they work together, how they feel about each other, right? By the people, for the people, which is a threat and that the balance of power in an organization and you know that would kind of keep shrinking and going from just a hierarchy to more flat, still someone has to be in charge. But there really hasn't been a way out in the market to be able to do that, to focus on the human connection. That's why it's so much easier to focus in on process. When the truth is, when we only focus on process, we treat everyone as machines. And that's what gets us into trouble, like not being able to thrive during a pandemic, right? That doesn't help. So it's so interesting as I'm talking to you to think about how it all started with wanting to be in front of a camera, to be able to share information with people. And it just didn't manifest in the way that I thought it was going to, right? And that's what I'm doing today. And it's just interesting. So did I at the recess elementary school, you know, playground say, this is what I wanted to do? No, but it is absolutely what I said I did, right? I did want to be the one of the people being able to give you the information that you wanted. So kind of cool, because not everybody can say that they can make that link. I want to talk about that human connection point in that I believe you started the first week of April, maybe mm-hmm. April 1st, April Fool's Day. It was, yeah, yeah. Big, big joke <laughs> on you guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had, you know, being outside of Boston, we had been pretty much on lockdown for a couple of weeks leading yeah. up into that. You probably started at the time that was the most difficult, that we did not know what was going on. We did not know how bad things were going to be. We thought that, you know, it could be reaching every one of our families at that point. Work was probably the last thing we wanted to think about. We had kids that are all of a sudden home that aren't used to being home. Talk about having that background. Isn't that crazy? And I wasn't the only one to start on that day. So first, I, I do have to say, you know, look, the recruiting process, the onboarding process, you do that job, it ain't for the faint of hearts. It's really difficult in the best of times for folks. I had the added benefit of never having worked in an office before. I've been a road warrior since day one. And so I've always worked from home unless I had to go to an office because IT couldn't fix my computer offline or, you know, I was too cheap to go to Staples to buy my own paper. That's kind of what it was. So for me, my big cultural change would have been not starting in a pandemic and going to the office. Thank goodness it's so close. So starting in the pandemic was really interesting. I do have to say what was so great was Leading up to it, my recruiter that I was working with was in the folks who were working with her and were human, were so communicative. I knew exactly where I stood. (laughs) You know, everything's going to be okay. Are you okay? You know, like all of that, right? Really, really good. So I, I truly did not worry about much in terms of my own personal place in work human. And then coming into work human on April 1st, and like you said, and you described it so perfectly. We've gotten used to, or at least we're, we're now accepting all of us who are devoted to labor, right? Those of us who work, that I think we're coming to the realization of life is pretty sweet before because we just didn't realize what we didn't know, right? I've spent a lot of time, as you know, in transformational leadership. That's pretty much what my career has been based on, getting people to move from where they are to a whole new status quo. And so you meet people where they are and, you know, get them to where you want them to be. And what's really interesting is our status quo was always about learning how to lead during times of uncertainty. And the undercurrent there was, but it won't always be uncertain. It's just uncertain now. 
and our sands are constantly shifting from under our feet. But someday that's not going to be like that without us realizing, wait a minute, we've been saying that for 15 years. What? Now here, and we weren't quite there yet, but we were starting to get there on April 1st, to your point was we were all of a sudden hit with the, not only do I not know when this is going to end, I probably never actually knew that change could be so drastic, so invasive, such a big deal, and that it might never end. And that was what we were struggling with. And we're still trying to deal with that today. How do you move forward, maintain connection, and still run a business without that very human need for safety of someday this will end? So that's what I walked into. What's amazing for me, walking into a company like WorkHuman, who truly understands and itself the importance of culture the importance of what a resilient culture looks like. And a resilient culture is one that can be flexible, it can be agile, but it can't do those things if it's not connected. If the people within it do not feel a personal relationship, loyalty, commitment to each other, responsibility and accountability to each other and to the company that they work for, right? And so it was so interesting coming here on the first and just seeing from day one So this is what a resilient culture looks like. Does it mean people weren't afraid? Does it mean people were not aware of what was going on? Does it mean people weren't all of a sudden for the first time, many of my colleagues, I think, including you for the first time, not learning how to work from home, but (laughs) facing the reality of work is now in your home. And guess what else is in your home, right? And so it really was never about working from home. And I think that, you know, we probably as a society need to get away from that. It was never about that. And and when it comes to the pandemic. So joining at this time and seeing how work human really did come together and they were able to come together in a way because of that connective tissue. And we were able to come and really respond, not react but respond in the market, understanding that it is those human stories that really lift all of us up, that give us an aspiration and then a path forward, that we are inspired by our customers. And this is, you know, a marketing person saying this, so, but I swear this is, this is the truth. Seeing how our customers are thriving right now, they are the ones who are on the front lines, creating the drugs, giving us the product, right? Doing all of these things, keeping our community safe and together and seeing how they're doing it because of their cultures and how we play such an important role, our solutions, our ability to enable the change management that has to happen. And so joining during this time where we pivoted so quickly on the business as usual, as well as strategic kind of things we were working on, we had to pivot so much of what we were doing. And seeing that happen, knowing that people are doing it in a workplace that they no longer recognize with work hours, they never knew that they were going to have to have navigating what was going home. So few folks who work here are alone, right? Many of us have families, have other people who are depending I on dream us. dream of that. Right? Being right? right? Yeah. You're like, come on. Right. Exactly. In a hammock in your front yard. Just kidding. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so for me, kind of an executive coming in, what it gave me a flavor for was one, the culture, and two, it got the, gave me the ability to understand very, very quickly who we are as an organization, how we work, 
and how freaking amazing we are. Mike, the esprit de corps here is unbelievable. And it is such a community. And what I've heard from so many of my colleagues is that, and you know, look, we've been impacted by COVID, all of us. We know someone, many of us have lost people, right? It's been awful for everyone. And so it's not to diminish that. But we have come together in a way that I'm getting chills even talking about it. My relationships have been, like, I feel like there are some people I've known my whole life now, right? And it was within a week. So it was just something about that. The other piece I will say about coming during COVID is when people are in kind of emergency response mode, you have blinders on and it's very focused and it's hard to let someone new come in. And it hasn't been like that here. If anything, I've been welcomed in. I've, it's not only been, not only do you have a seat at the table, man, we dusted it off. We're going to pull it out for you, help you <laughs> get it in. We want to hear what you have to say. And it doesn't mean things are easy all the time. They're not, we're humans, right? We're all, we have these big hairy things that we're all trying to figure out how to help our customers. It's all the good stuff that you want from a vendor and a, a partner for sure. And me from a colleague perspective. But this is such a weird thing to say. And I think I might've shared it on our internal all hands that we had a few about a month or two ago. And that was for me, the strangest thing to say is there probably wasn't a better time for me to join because I got to see the best of what this company has to offer it through the eyes of our customers and through the eyes of a new employee. Yeah, I think a lot of employees, uh, I mean, I can speak to me and some of the other younger parents out there that our entire support network gone in a day. Mm. I love my parents. They live a couple towns away. They would love to take my kids for a couple hours or something. I can't. They're 70. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish this virus turned people blue so that you would know like who had it or whatnot. Essentially, you know, from the government on down is you're on your own. Yeah. And what's nice is that at least the company is there and that company will be like, look, we're going through this too. Everybody's going through Mm -hmm. the same thing to a different degree. But here's what we're faced with. Let's pivot and let's see how we can continue to move forward. So yeah. it's, been, it's been a crazy couple of months. I never would have thought that it would have gone this long. But yeah, we're going to continue. Exactly. And here's the thing about what you just said. Not one of us had a roadmap. Because not one of I mean, look, Bill Gates saw this coming. Fine. Okay, we all see that now. But, <laughs> but none of us had a roadmap for this. Right. And there was no, I mean, look, I don't know what it's like. Like Trevor Noah talked about when we had Work Human live stream a few months ago. I don't envy those decision makers. Right. I do not envy. I don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. We're getting, you know, data we've never had before. This is a crazy virus we still really don't know anything about. We don't have the infrastructure. The globe does, it's a global pandemic. So I don't envy that, right? And we have been left on our own. But yet again, it is lovely to see how so many of us, me included, have gotten back to the basics. You know, for sure, I'm working a lot. I think, you know, the data is out there. Those of us working from home are actually working more now than we have before. I think those of us who are employed are happy that we're employed, but we're also, you know, we have lives and we're tired. And and I agree. I think our company, that's the other thing, by the way, that I I do want to mention is that this is the first time in my career, and, and I have worked for some of the best companies out there, right? And have worked with some of the best business leaders really in our industry. I've been very, very fortunate. And I know that. But this is the first time as an executive, I have been in meetings where we start with our people. How are we doing? And I'm held personally accountable for that as a leader. And from what I hear, that's not exclusive to during times of pandemic. 
So that this whole thing around, we might not have the answers either because we're still, we're the ones, you know, like our HR department is watching our own governor, right? Uh, over here and then over in Ireland, yeah. same with their government. We're trying to figure it out and every meeting I'm in, it's and how can we partner with our employees? How can we still support our customers? It's hard. We have no roadmap, but I'm so impressed by how we are doing this. And also the other piece to that is the visibility I'm getting. Typically not that amount of visibility in terms of what we are doing for our people and what my role and the expectations of me are in making that happen beyond the typical do you have a succession plan? How's your performance management doing? You know, so just I'm with you. And it feels like a, just like we like to partner with our customers. I like the partnering with our colleagues, right? Our people. It's amazing. So I'm happy to hear that's what you were taking too. And Mike, yeah. I don't remember you. It's tough. <laughs> My wife and I have gotten closer during this just because I have an eight-month-old and a four-year-old and it's tough. And it's been amazing to see them grow up through this time. I'm lucky that I'm able to see the baby grow. She's waving now, and Yay! which is very cute. She's very cute. But it's still like trying to get things done while having one person screaming in this ear and another one poking you in the yeah. side. Yeah. So like, yeah. You're like, you're like, and that's just my colleagues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, my, my wife and I, we fight over the time to be able to focus on work. I hear like senators and Republicans and stuff saying that, People don't want to work and stuff. No, I want to work. Get me out of here. Yeah, that's <laughs> not my experience. I'm not kidding. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's no, because it's good because I can just sit and focus on some tasks that I have to do that don't involve changing diapers or <laughs> entertaining a, a four year old. So right. it's basic empathy. Your employees aren't yeah. going to do good work if they're on the verge of a mental breakdown. Yes, yes, so, they're uh, exhausted and they have no ability to shut <laughs> off. Well, I'm still exhausted all the time. I'm, the baby's not sleeping, so yes. my wife. So she, neither I, are you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what we've done, and I actually talked to Stacia Gar about this, is that, yeah. but it's funny. So my wife in my bed became my four-year-old daughter who doesn't want to sleep in her room. She's sleeping there. I'm sleeping next to her. And then my wife is sleeping with the baby in the, the full-size bed that we have because the baby won't sleep in the crib. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, that is so interesting, right? And so my family situation is different. Before I go into that, though, there are two things I just want to react to. First, it's been really great for me to be able to see the folks I work with in their families, right? And sometimes their families are the cat that keeps walking by. I have seen a colleague's child take her first steps. Like it makes me want oh. to tear up. Oh yeah, it was pretty, considering, by the way, I didn't see my the first steps with my own children because oh. I was, somewhere else, right? And, and I don't possess guilt. I possess sadness because I didn't see it, but I'm not someone who, who feels guilt around stuff like that. But it was such a special moment to be part of. The other thing about this is, it doesn't make the situation any better, by the way. But the other thing about the compassion thing, my aunt is a nurse and she worked at Children's and she was talking about one of the doctors that she works with. And the doctor is wonderful, has empathy, but the empathy only goes so far. She would question why the parents would keep coming back with the same challenges. You know, they're not doing whatever at home. And now that all of the doctor appointments were on Zoom, she saw what their homes looked like. She saw that they have, you know, five other kids doing homework over there and they don't have a special place that they can go do these things with the patient, right? It's like literally at the kitchen table. And all of a sudden it invoked a whole new level of empathy because you can really see where people's home bases, right? Where their energy comes from and gets fueled or depleted. 
And so you have a choice to make. Are you going to add to the fuel or are you going to add to the depletion? And I just found that like such a fascinating way to think. But in terms of what you're talking about, it's so interesting. And I will say without a pandemic, that happened. I very much let work become my focus, right? And it became kind of the center thing and everything else was was tied around it. And that's quite changed with the pandemic where my husband and I, our kids are older, my daughter, oh my gosh, she's turning 20 tomorrow, my oldest, which awful, I'm going to start crying. So let's move on. My <laughs> other one is 15. My other daughter's 15 going on 16, which is even worse for me, but she was born at like the age of 50 at this point. Um, it's amazing. Right. So we, we have that. My mom lives with us. And so, you know, my needs at home are quite different. And most people who live here, my mom has a, a companion, so they can, they can take care of themselves. It's so different, right? So you have like such special moments now. You get to see those growth things. You and your wife are creating a relationship that you didn't, not that you didn't need to before, but it was a forcing mechanism and probably accelerated, right? As this parental unit, as this family. Yeah. And for my family, it's, oh my God, we're actually having dinner. And I've never been, a, we, I grew up having dinner every night at 5.30 with our six o'clock, whatever it was with my family. There was, you just, that's what everybody did. And things are different now. And so I never did that. We do, we sit around the table, we talk. It's weird, quite frankly, but I love it. It's become normal. I've become like this addicted to Friday nights at home with my kids and just hanging out. And it's amazing. Like when you look at the things like you did and just see the benefits, those are things that are going to last a lifetime. And the other thing that's interesting is I was listening to my daughter talk to her friends over FaceTime or whatever they were talking through, Snapchat, I don't know what it was. But anyway, so they're talking through something. And so here they are, these 14 and 15 year olds, like they are so aware that they're living through history. And that's what they were talking about. What are we going to tell our grandkids about this? Isn't it really interesting? Like, like really getting the magnitude of what they were living through, how their friends who are you know supposed to be graduating tonight, Natick is having a ceremony. I'm going to try to do a drive-by because I have some kids who I feel like I helped raise are graduating today. But, you know, just seeing those implications, the fact that my daughter's not going to be able to play sports, which is a, a big problem. What does that mean for the seniors, you know, who are wanted athletic scholarship? Really understanding, or even what is it like? We've had some people pass recently. And what is it like that I can't be with the ones who loved them so much, who are with them? It's a pretty heavy time. So that's why that whole thing about the family infrastructure, we're very fortunate, Mike, you and I, that we have good families because not everybody does at home. It's not great. But the fact for us that we're able to really take that human, that family component and have it be part of the mix and then work, it has a mix as well, but it becomes an outlet versus just the thing I have to do. And I'm purpose-driven, so I've never really looked at work that way. And I know you haven't either. But it is pretty interesting when we've always thought about our families being our outlets and now work becomes the outlet. It's just such a different mix. There's such sadness in what we're learning, but it's necessary sadness because we have to change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And I think we've all pretty much figured that out. If we keep doing what we used to do, we're going to end up where we are right now. It's been amazing to hold up a mirror and to be grateful for the things you should be grateful for. I just hope that stuff sticks. Yeah, I'll be heading down to the Outer Banks to meet up with all my siblings and their families and my parents and my aunt from Alabama is going to drive up too. We are worried about the virus, but at this point, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing them. You know, I'm a quadruplet, so yeah. we were 
we all grew up yeah and just the longest i've gone i think without seeing some of my brothers and sisters and and my parents and so it's just really going to be nice to be back in the same room again if we all get the covid at some point at least we'll have that yeah and my yeah. parents have pretty much said as much we're all basically going to like a bomb shelter for three months and then <laughs> emerge. Yes. Yeah. Well, seriously, I mean, it's, it must feel like part of you is literally missing. That must be what it feels like. I can't, I'm not a quadruplet. I have two older sisters who are much older than me, but we didn't, I was kind of raised almost as an only old child, only child, but of course in adult years, you become so much closer and they help with my mom. And so I see them, you know, on the weekends when they come to be with my mom or our mom, And I don't know if I could stay away. I mean, of course, right? You got to do what you got to do. I just don't know how you and your siblings and your parents have done it. It's awful. We're used to the England family being in England. Yeah. That would kill me. I am, wow. Just wow. We all had our birthday in June and we had a little garage party at my parents' house where we just got in a circle Mm. and talked. Yeah. My parents started talking about Trump and that stuff. And I'm like, okay, I yeah. can't do this anymore. <laughs> right. but, and I, you know, I, I got a brother that lives on the other side of town that I really haven't seen in a month, but I was able to meet up with him and go for a bike ride last week. And it's just, you try to keep in touch, but it's just a really interesting time because normally I, I'm on the road, I'm talking to people. I mean, right. Now I'm not. I, my intellect has to be stimulated by a four-year-old. Right. <laughs> but, uh, So we're getting through it. And I end up talking to these neighbors that I have, like just like telling them my whole life story just because I'm, you know, I'm the person who's been inside for a week. Really? Well, at least you do with your neighbors. So I'm not a grocery shopper. I can't stand that. I get that delivered to my house. Not today. So it's like there was that article, I think, about it too, about like how the grocery stores become a whole thing. I will tell you this. There is not one person at Stop and Shop who works there who now does not know that my career started at Stop and Shop, what my career was, (laughs) why I believe that I should be there hired as a consultant to teach everybody how to bag appropriately, like how I was the fastest, regardless of what my friends say who also worked there, regardless of what they say, I really was the fastest scanner. So, you know, it's just, it's so funny how, and I'm so fascinated by all of them. They are so interesting. I think they're like, oh, great. Here comes the crazy lady. She sure likes milk and eggs. But, you know, it's it's so funny, like that human connection. And Mike, you and I are on Zoom all day. So it's not as if we don't get enough of it, right? It's yeah. really, really interesting. The thing that does, it is hard for me. And I wonder if it is for you. And I've heard this from others. I'm a hugger. It is really hard for me not to hug. It's so difficult. I have to physically stop myself from hugging. Ooh, it's killing me. It's like, no, I would love to give some people that I've known for a long time, like Sarah Payne, when I see her, I'll probably give her a big hug. This is someone I sat in a desk next to for the last five years. And yeah. now it's really crazy. My parents are not huggers, but I'll probably give them a hug. Yeah. It will be weird, but... Um, go at them, Mike, go at them. <laughs> it's just like, what was weird is, so they open up, I know we're talking forever, but it's funny. They open up haircuts at the end of May for us. And I had pretty much buzzed my head at the start of this whole thing, was dying for a haircut. So I went to get a haircut. And of course, I have no filter and I just talk. And I'm talking to the lady, like uh, the girl, like washing my hair. I'm like, 
this is the first contact I've had with someone outside my family in three months or something. I'm like, I'm sorry, that sounded really weird, but <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> and she was actually like, yeah, I've heard that. I was like, I've heard. I was just like, gonna say, there's no way in heck you were the first one to say that. Oh my yeah, God. no, because I'm just like, sorry, that was really weird, but I'm just <laughs> <it's> nice. <laughs> You know, folks can't see me, but it's like I'm putting my hands up. Like, is are you real? You know, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, Um, it's been a really interesting time. But since we're coming at the end of it, if people want to find you on social and check out your book, where can they go? So I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn is Dr. Patty Fletcher, P A T T I. My personal website is drpattyfletcher.com. It's D R. My book has a page there called Disruptors, Success Strategies for Women Who Break the Mold, which is also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the others out there. So come hit me up and I do respond to social media. So definitely engage with me because I want to hear from you. All right. Well, thank you, Patty. Thank you, Mike. It's been fun. For 20 years, WorkHuman has helped leading brands build cultures of gratitude and human connection. Their solutions work in the best of times, the worst of times, and all the time. Let them work for you in turning isolation into recognition, connection, and celebration. Get up and running in minutes at workhuman.com.